This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead with the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I got Travis Balcom on, and he's going to tell us all about all the awesome stuff he's done in the past and the big self-storage deal that he's working on right now in Georgetown. Hey, Travis, how are you? I'm doing good, Jordan. How are you doing? Good to see you again, man. I know it's been a while since we've connected. Um, it's funny, I just had barbecue for lunch. I think the last time we met in person was over barbecue at Style Switch. Uh, it was, and you introduced me, you introduced the native Texan to white barbecue uh, sauce, oh. and I'm, I, I didn't know if I was going to like that, but I, it was delicious. Yeah, the Alabama white wings at yes. Style Switch are really good. Um, well, cool, man. Let's get right into it. So most important question we ask here is, what's your favorite restaurant in Austin? Yeah, I would say my favorite restaurant right now is, uh, and it has been for some time. I don't know. I'm a pretty big, I like to eat food, but I would say Soto off Lamar yeah. is one of the higher, and just specifically their sashimi. I felt like the sashimi is really high quality compared to, you know, a lot of the sashimi out in the Austin mm -hmm. area. Um, but, uh, and then there's a ATX Cocina is always a big, big, uh, mm a big one that we go to when we get down there. So nice. Yeah. Soto's got, they got the location down on South Lamar and they've got a location up right on the, the border of Cedar park in Austin. I think yes. Lakeline mall. I've, I've been to both of those Cedar, both and the fascinating thing is, is it's almost like two different restaurants. Like the mm -hmm. quality is just as high, but the Cedar park one has like an omikaze dinner situation set up. And then, the one downtown doesn't. It's just more of kind of like an urban, urban, uh, uh, urban sushi restaurant. Yeah, no, they're both really cool. Um, awesome. So love Soto. But really quick, could you tell our audience who you are, who you are, and how you're involved in real estate investing? Yeah, my name's Travis Balcom. We uh, we I I run a firm called Balcomi Capital. It's a a boutique, a self storage, private equity firm. We um, buy four to five or develop four to five facilities a year. Um, we keep it lean. Uh, we're we uh, we're growing fast, but generally speaking, we 100% focus on self storage. Uh, we feel like that has over the next 10 years, that's going to have the biggest uh, return on investment. Um, we're coming into some really odd unique times that I've never actually experienced in my professional life. I graduated college right in 08. So I never, you know, like it was already crappy when I got in. So I've only had the the ramp up or whatever. Um, and then, you know, and so we're about to come into some foreign territory, but uh, storage has a 40 year recession or 40 year, uh, you know, track record of, of being very recession resistant. It'll be interesting to see if that continues. Uh, storage is a lot more levered than it was in the past 40 years. Um, so there might be some REOs happening, but as a firm, we feel like um, it's it's the safest, it's the most predictable, it's the cleanest, it's the, and it's really the simplest uh, store uh, asset class in real estate that you can invest in. Yeah, simplest from all, I mean, there's no tenants. There's tenants, but they don't live there, and the construction is really concrete and metal for the most part. 
Yeah, for the most part. Uh, so going back to the tenant situation, yeah, the, no one lives there unless you have a squatter and the, the yeah. cops will remove them. You don't have to get a judge to say, hey, this squatter doesn't belong here. You know, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like a residential property where you have, um, you know, they don't pay, you know, then by the next month, they're not paying. Well, we got to evict them. It's 27 days. They get them evicted in, in the state of Texas. And then if they leave, great. If not, then you have to get a, a writ of possession, which is a, another, I think, it's been a while since I've done one, but I think it's 160 bucks still. Um, and then you have to get a sheriff, and then you have to hire guys to clean all their crap out. So you're 60 days in, uh, and then you have to you're 40, 50, 60 days in, and then you have to clean it up, paint it, do a make ready, then rent it back out, hoping that tenant pays. Whereas storage, you can have, um, you know, most for the most part, uh, portfolio wide, we have seven storage facilities now. We have a less than a, a two. 0.1% default rate at the beginning of the month and it ends up uh, it ends up being almost nobody is isn't it's very rare we have to do an auction uh, but when we do an auction it's as simple as on the 5th day they're late the 16th day we're dropping a, a new uh, you know a, a letter a public notice in in the newspaper on the 7 days later you send the second public notice and then you can set a schedule an auctioneer to come and, uh, and you basically auction their stuff off. We've never, most of the stuff that we've had to auction off has been total crap, like a couple of empty boxes of, yeah. of uh, you know, baby clothes and that sort of thing. And so like for us, it's just getting the unit clean so that we can rent it out to someone who wants to, uh, you know, pay us as opposed to not pay us. And so, but yeah, from, a, from an efficiency standpoint and a loss of income standpoint, point, storage ha- is, is the best because you don't have to deal with a judge. That's a, that's the number one reason why uh, it's a lot more efficient to, um, well, it's a lot more easier to, to kind of collect your money and get people out and really optimize your facility. Yeah. Yeah, so that totally makes sense. I know, you know, when I, when we met, we met on in some forum online years ago, you were in a single family flipping and short-term rentals, I think. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, we play, we, we, <laughs> excuse me we played a pretty big game in the house flipping business we mm-hmm. we got to where we were flipping 60 70 houses a year and as as awesome as that sounds and as like you know like champion and like superman level as that sound it was the, some of the most miserable years of my life uh if you could imagine and, and when i say flipping we weren't wholesaling we would rarely wholesale we would wholesale stuff like you know 200 miles away that we just didn't want to renovate uh that we somehow got somehow but most of the stuff we were doing we had crews in-house crews construction managers all that and we were doing it all in-house and if you can imagine a typical house has 58 to 110 decisions you have to make before it hits the market once it hits the market someone a buyer has an emotional response to that oh i think i can see my kids here i love the backyard you know, this is a great school district, et cetera, et cetera. They're basically making an emotional decision for you to get paid. And so we did that for eight years and we played towards the end in 2017, we bought 87 houses. And then 2018, we bought uh, 91 houses in nine months. Wow. And uh, we were, it was, it was, it was a business that was not, um, it was not unusual to get a demand letter right at dinner time for some reason for a you know a contractor or a upset home buyer or something like that. And we man, it just talk about burnout. We just got super burned out. I just one day I just decided to close it. We were having some cash difficulties and I was like, you know, there's this isn't what 
if this is if this is what running a business is, I don't want to ever run a business again. Mm-hmm. And so thankfully, um, when I did that, I was able to clear out a lot of, we had a ton of inventory, ton of houses under renovation, 72 rentals. We completely, uh, I slowly over 28 months eliminated all of them, or, or I mean, uh, sold all of them. It took me that long to get, get rid of all of them. And, uh, and we had a little bit of cash and we were, we were like, Hey, what are we going to do next? And that's when I, I met a couple of dudes that were in the storage industry and, uh, they seemed like they were having a lot better of, uh, they were a lot happier than I was. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's kind of, you know, and that, so I looked into it and I'm like, this is, I think this is where I want to go because I feel just like in 2012, multifamily was primarily owned by mom and pop owners. And now it's like 6% is owned by mom and pop owners. Very few. Most of them are owned by corporate entities. And Mm -hmm. I I think, so most of the juice has been squeezed in the multifamily industry. I think the next asset class to get squeezed would be uh, the the storage industry. And so right now it's somewhere around 80, 85% mom and pop. And it'll slowly get down to that. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming it'll slowly get down to that 12 to 15%. Mm -hmm. Um, That's, that's our kind of bet. We're, we're, we're not really hoping that happens. We think that will happen when we underwrite a deal. We're, we're, we're underwriting it based on a three to five year projection of like, we think we can sell in five years for this multiple and get our investors this amount of money back. Mm-hmm. Um, but given how much like chatter I'm hearing on like bigger pockets and on other forums and getting wholesale emails for, for like really, really crappy storage facilities, I think, yeah slowly it's going to go that way and oh. yeah and then and like and like i said in the past man it's so simple or earlier it's just so simple to run these um you can run a 400 unit facility with one person and that's really a part-time job once it's full sure yeah yeah i know they just don't seem like you need a lot of manpower on site so did i hear you right did you sell all of your rental properties yeah oh wow well for the most part so we yeah, so when I, when I in October of 2018, I had to let everybody go because I was like, I got like two months left of payroll mm-hmm. or mortgage payments. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was, it was going to be one. I'm like, and I'm, it's, it's going to be the mortgage payments. I'm not going to screw the bank. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so I had 42 renovations going. So rehab, like flips were going like in the middle. I had five crews and we, I just basically every, every, uh, I think it was like, two, I can't remember what days it was like Tuesday. I would travel and hit all the, each crew was hitting one house mm-hmm. and we would like knock out a house. All right. I need you to go to this next house now. And then I need you to go to this next house. But it took a while. We had 11 houses left when the pandemic hit. And then the pandemic, I was thinking like, dang it, man, like this is, I was almost there and like, now it's all going to fall apart and it sucks because I was so close to get out getting out of it. And then it ended up being the best thing ever because, because the, you know, uh, the values went up 20, 30% yeah. in, uh, in a year, year, and then another 20% the next year. So we were able to get out and get a lot of cash back. Um, but yeah, I, i still have four short-term rentals, which we'll probably keep because they, I don't, I forget that I own them a lot. I have a manager wow. for that. They, they run pretty smoothly. I don't make a lot of money, but they're in a really good specific location and here in, uh, in uh, this, like the silo district of Waco is where they're located. Mm-hmm. I was right next to Chip and Joanna's like uh, uh, Magnolia silos, like uh, white mom, Disneyland amusement park thing. So <laughs> I, don't, yeah. I don't know what's really what you call it, but yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's, it's for like mid forties, like, you know, Disneyland for women. Um, and, uh, and then, um, yeah. And then, you know, we've got, let's see, 
We did build five houses last year with a buddy because we got some, we stole some lots or we 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 bought some lots from a guy that needed to get out of a situation, mm-hmm. and uh, so we have two of those left, and then I have four just his uh, you know long term rentals that essentially I own because they're they're in such bad shape I can't sell them or I owe too much money on them or they're rented out and I don't care I don't need to sell them now I don't need the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's it. We got we got some land, uh, you know, say in the silo district, but that's about it. Everything else is storage and it'll just continue to be storage. And so nice. No, it's good to focus. I mean, I mean, I've I've paid attention to so many people and uh, we both know a lot of them that have done really, really well. And what you really realize is that they just pick one thing and they go all in. And when they do that, right. it seems like they just blow up. You're like, oh my gosh, something happened. They just it just blew up out of nowhere and it's no, what really happened or what looks like happened is that they focused and just stayed sure. one thing. So, yeah. And if you, if you, uh, you know, when you're focused on one thing, as opposed to like, well, I'm going to try to sell or finance houses, uh, buy mobile home parks, mm-hmm. develop an RV park, you know, what you see, what the chatter you see on the unfocused chatter you see on Facebook or biggerpockets.com or something like that. Um, when you find someone that hyper focuses, you you know things that the other people don't know. Like if you mm-hmm. if, you know if you stay in your territory, you're going to know when there's an opportunity. Whereas if you're like jumping around on the other territories, you're eventually going to get destroyed by whatever predator is in that like if in that territory. Like if you're the predator in your little box here, and a, a rabbit comes in, you're going to get it. Whereas like mm-hmm. if you're in someone else's, if you're in another predator's box, you might just get eaten by that predator. And so you you might be the rabbit in that situation, even though you <laughs> think you might be the be the good be the guy that you know is about to make hay or whatever. And so I know for me, everything after you do a deal of one, let's say a storage deal, the next storage deal, you know exactly what to expect. It gets a lot easier. Uh you know exactly who to call, you know who uh, how to structure it, you know how to uh what limited partners are going to be interested, that sort of thing. Whereas if I was mm-hmm. like Oh hey, here's a storage deal, and now here's now now's a a multifamily project that I'm going to do, and this is a mixed use deal in downtown Austin or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's very uh, like we were talking. It was very unfocused. I don't know what the heck I'm doing if I'm doing a mixed use deal. I know mm-hmm. what what I'm doing a storage facility, but I don't. You know, and so there's all these 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 learning curves which ultimately cost you money and they cost your investors money. And so we feel like just fo- hyper focusing on one asset class is the best thing to do. No, I completely agree. I think that's awesome. Um, so you know, obviously you've done a lot, Travis. You had a big home flipping business, you had some STRs, you had some rentals, um, and now you're you're in self-storage. But what initially attracted you to real estate investing? Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here, and I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast wherever you're listening to it. That would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing, and I'd be able to help more people. Thanks, guys. Man, so, uh, you know, the summers of high school uh, was when H- the HGTV channel just showed up, and I, and I just remember watching all the house flipping shows. And I just remember one guy was like, yeah, well, we do 24 to $27 million in real estate a year. And this is, n- this is in 2001, wow. so it could have been just a billion dollars, you know, I was like, holy crap, this guy. And, you know, now I know that was probably gross. He was probably make maybe making half a million or a million on that. But like, my thought was like, my thought was like, that guy's not that smart. I've been watching all these episodes. He's, he's really kind of a bozo. 
And, you know, and, and, and I was like, I bet I can do that. Like I could make 25 million a year. And so I kind of started out that I kind of shelved it in my brain, went about my, my, my life, went to college. And then I discovered, uh, I, my, my boss, uh, I needed to get a job. Uh, uh, I needed, so I got a job and my boss gave me, eventually gave me rich dad, poor dad. Mm. And I was like, yeah, I'll read it. I'll read it. And then I didn't read it. And then another guy mentioned it. And I was like, maybe I should read that book. That's the book that Kindle recommended. And so like, I read it and I just, dude, I was, it was like, I was hooked. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, I didn't want to get a job. I, I was just like, I'm gonna go right into uh, real estate investing or owning businesses or whatever, mm. which funny thing, it took another five years for me to end up buying my first house. But um, but yeah, that's that's essentially how I got there. And I think the reason why I got there is from an early age, I knew there was a lot of, a lot more opportunity for me by watching like the HGTV shows and by reading and talking to my super entrepreneurial boss that I was working for and realizing like, man, I can make a lot of money or it working the same amount of time as like working at like a you know, a call center, a customer service center. And I, and I honestly, back then, I didn't think I had that, you know, I, I got this like funny liberal arts degree. I didn't get like a civil engineering degree or anything like that. I just kind of felt like I needed to really jump, jump off if I, into entrepreneurship if I'm going to ever make any money at all. Mm -hmm. So what was your first investment? Like, what was your first investment property? Yeah. Uh, first investment property was a HUD home in, mm -hmm. um, it was, uh, I think the price was 45,000 bucks. It was a foreclosure. It was in, in 2012. Wow. And, uh, the previous owners that got foreclosed on, they stole the toilets, the, <laughs> the back or no, they stole the toilets. They stole the, uh, fans and the back door, which I always thought was funny. I'm like, dude, you're not going to, yeah, you really like, you can't like the toilets are really hard to put somewhere, you know, like, what are you doing? And, uh, but then the back door was such an odd thing. Um, and so I paid like 40, I think I paid 42,000 for it. Uh, it was real long clothes because it was owned by the government, uh, you know, HUD home or whatever. And then we put 12 into it. Uh, that was the only house I actually did the painting and did the flooring and stuff. Cause I, I didn't have a job at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, my, we had just moved to, uh, where we live now in Waco and, um, and my wife was a nurse and I had a, we had a nine month old baby and I'd bring her with me and I'd paint. And I'd, oh. I'd try to lay flooring. I'd try to do this. I was terrible. I'm not good at handyman stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the cool thing is I rented, I put it right when I closed it, the first thing I did, I put a ferment sign and I rented it out one before I was done mm -hmm. with the rent of the renovations, like setting the toilets basically. And two, um, like it, I, it, I rented it out before my first mortgage payment was due. And so, which was great because as previously mentioned, I didn't have a job. My wife was a nurse and we were pretty broke. Like we yeah. just had enough money to buy a house <laughs> so, or like buy an investment property. And then we're like, get to figure it out from that point. But, but yeah, once I, once I told my wife that I, she was kind of hesitant at first, once I told her I rented it out before um, the mortgage payment was due, she, she was like bragging to her mom. I was like, yeah, you rented it out before the mortgage paper. Yeah. I'm going to tell him to do a lot. I'm just going to, so she's like, she's like, yeah, go to, do some more of those. And so after that one, after the one, she just, she trusted me the rest of the time, I guess. So did you start flipping right away? Cause it sounds like that first one was just a pure rental, right? Yeah, that was a rental. The second one I did was a flip and I lost money on it. Mm. And you know, that was when I was like, man, it's, I, I can't do that again. And mm -hmm. so like, because I just didn't have the ability to do it. Third one made money. Fourth one made money. 
uh, the fifth one made money. The sixth one, we I got I was feeling pretty cocky, so I bought a house two hours. I bought a house in a really expensive area of Dallas, mm, and wow. and I drove up there every day. I'm like, I, my thought was like, I can make 20, 30 grand on a deal on a deal here in Waco, or I can make two fifty on a deal in Dallas, and which which is total bull crap. Yeah. It was not the case. Um, we terrible experience. Fourteen months, almost every day having to go up there managing crews oh and stuff. Gosh. Leaving really? at six, leaving at six a.m. Getting there about eight thirty when everyone was showing up. Leaving my, really? leaving the job site at like three to get home, to you know get ready for dinner, have dinner, start to cook dinner and get get my kiddos ready. But yeah, that that deal we ended up losing a quarter million bucks on. And so, oh my gosh, and uh, and that's you know that's when I was like I'm I'm I got to figure this out or I'm gonna have to go do something else. Mm-hmm. And so, and thankfully I met a guy that taught me how to like send letters out, um, like, you know, direct mail basically. And that mm-hmm. changed my life. We we went from buying three houses a year to buying, to getting like 28 calls a month and that like buying one a month. And I'm like, oh, this is great. And that's when I was like, well, what am I going to do with this, all this stuff? And I had to bring in partners. And I was like, well, I guess I'll sell this one to you for this because I can't get to it. And, and that was, and then it just kind of spot it spiraled. I kept on run. I kept on finding people that were really good at finding deals. Like a guy that was really good at uh, buying on auction websites. I hired him. We ended, he ended up buying 11 houses this first month. And wow. I'm like, I don't know how to finance these. Just, I, I went up to him and was like, Hey, just have I, I don't know how to finance these. I want to see what I can do, but I don't have this type of money. I didn't expect you to grow, do it that fast. And they were all good deals. That's the thing. They weren't like, marginal deals this is like 2014 when like the world hadn't taken off yet as far as like the economy and everyone thinking they can flip houses so you can still get deals where you can make 80 to 100 grand uh, you know 50 i would say 18 to 20 percent return uh, on your investment uh within wow. a few sh- short months and so and back then it was really great and it was great to bra- brag but then like at, in 2016 a whole lot of money flooded the market uh just because we had a, a more business friendly um cabinet uh you know president and uh and then you know just everything I'd, as anyone listening to this that's been doing this for a while um everything just dried up it just got real hard to mm-hmm. to make money you know, especially when you had an office and you had people you had payroll and you had in-house crews and you had eighteen thousand dollars a month of marketing you spend eighty ninety thousand dollars a month just keeping the doors open it's it's not fun so yeah yeah well especially when you're you're hunting down those deals like that there's so many variables with flipping so yeah flipping can be a great business and there's a lot of people that make a lot of money doing it but you've got to be uh very prepared for when things change or get harder like you're saying you know yeah and i I would say it's a good way it's a good place to start to really get going but you don't know a lot of 20 20-year veteran flippers you know they kind of move on to something else mm-hmm. and i think there's good reason because like it's impossible to perfect because every house mm-hmm. is different and then the market changes so much like right now i have several friends or several guys i know who've reached out and they're like what do i do you know I, i'm in this thing for 300 it was gonna be worth 400 now it's worth like 330 but i had to t- I, I went over budget so my cost is like 360 i want to be losing money like what do you I know you were in a similar situation like this. What do you think we should do? And I'm like, geez. Yeah. I get, like the, the thing that I got really lucky on is the market kept on going up. Mm-hmm. And right now the market's not going up. It's going down uh, f- depending on who you talk to mm-hmm. <laughs> and depending on the asset class, I guess. 
but yeah, but yeah it's it, specific it's, areas there's one side of the yeah. highway in austin where everything's still rosy and you go over to the other side and prices have kind of stalled out so it's, it's so many different air things variables there very fascinating mm-hmm. yeah so you you flip for uh what six eight years there eight years eight years uh grew a really big business got to the point where you said i don't really want to do this anymore that dallas one just sounds brutal i mean well so that was the that was only one driving that was uh that was just i did two houses in dallas that was the first one the second one the neighbors sued me and locked and uh he tied up he clouded my title for a very long time that was the most brutal one emotionally the other one was just a financial loss (laughs) you know you're like i'm getting out of dallas i'm never going to do anything up here again and so um yeah it's the the thing is like yeah they were terrible it was awful i never want to go through anything like that ever ever again and still today i get nervous when i'm doing a big deal i'm like well what did i miss is there like what who's a neighbor you know you think about that stuff like do i have a good general contractor because now i'm playing a lot i'm playing with a lot more zeros Mm. and so you know, if I take a 20% loss in something, then I, do, I don't have that money. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but with that said, like, I'm glad that I went through those uh, trials and that suffering because I know what to look for. I've, I've been able to pivot. I've been able to learn from them. I know how to think about things. I know how to deal with lawsuits. Um, all that education came like my buddy, he calls it experience tokens. You got to take all those experience tokens. You're getting a lot of experience tokens. Eventually you get to cash those tokens in and you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So That's a cool way to look at the experience tokens. I definitely, I have a few myself. Um, So speaking of experience tokens, what's the biggest mistake you would say you've ever made in when it comes to real estate investing? Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole life millionaire. Uh... <laughs> Well, I've given you a lot. Yeah, <laughs> so, no, you've given me a bunch of really good ones. Yeah, I mean, I would say growing too fast. Mm. And so if I could have kept my business, my housewiving business around like a 20, 15 to 20, maybe even 30, uh, you know, house a year business, mm-hmm. it probably would have been fine because that would have been a pretty uh, top light model. I could have had just one, maybe two people working for me mm-hmm. and you know, like I, I know when we, when my business was doing 25 to 37 deals a year, like I got to work, I was working out like two hours a week. I mean, two hours a day in the morning, show up, make sure everything's going smoothly, uh, go check on jobs. I didn't have too many jobs to check on. So I would check on them and then I would go back and, you know, try to meet with a private investor or something like that. It was a pretty nice little humming machine. But um, I guess that if you, to put like, to put like a phrase into what was my biggest real estate investing mistake was 
I, uh, I just, I, I got my ego got into the way. Like it was it just massive ego. I was always trying to make sure I was trying to impress and prove to other people how good I was like, Oh, you, you doubted me. Now I'm going to get you now. But the reality is when I got to that point, none of those people freaking gave a crap. Like they, they weren't even paying attention to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I built this business to impress others and none of them gave it, gave two shits about me, you know, and that's the thing. And, and, and that's kind of general how life works. Like we, we feel like life is, we're trying to prove ourselves to others, but they're also trying to prove ourselves to their selves to us because it all kind of revolves around the same insecurity mm-hmm. that I feel like American, and I'm sure it's outside of America too, but just in, that Americans deal with. But yeah, I would say my biggest mistake is getting letting my ego get in the way. Mm-hmm. And um, and that encompasses not looking at the numbers deeply enough. That encompasses trying to buy too many houses when you knew you didn't have the cash to do so. Um, you know, it encompasses overpaying for houses just so that you can get your numbers up so you can impress everybody at your mastermind that you're going to the next week. Uh-huh. All that stuff. All that stuff is, is was the biggest mistake. So, yeah, getting getting over your skis. Kind of sure. Like. Yeah, for sure. Cool. And knowing I was over my skis, but not telling anybody I was over my skis because I was too prideful and too egotistical to, yeah, to yeah. Um, you know, humble myself. Yeah, ego. Ego is definitely the enemy. Um, so if you if you had to start over today, let's say with just the flipping business, if you're saying, "Hey, I'm gonna get into flipping and I'm gonna do it really well," would you do anything differently? Uh, I don't. I don't really know. I, 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 you know, or I want to say doing the flipping business. Well, that that I want to say I just wouldn't do the flipping business, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's a good like you know when I bought my first house I had twenty five hundred bucks in the bank, oh, and wow. buying a house and renting it out for nine hundred dollars was like a lot of money. You know, mm-hmm. that was a three hundred four hundred dollar you know uh, net cash flow to me. And then when I flipped, when I started, when I, the second house I flipped, I didn't do very well on the, but the third, fourth and fifth, I was making, I made like 20 to 40 grand on those, each, each one of those. Mm-hmm. And that like changed my life in a sense, you know, like I, I was able to pay off my car. I was able to still shore up some capital, um, you know, so there's, so if you're a teacher or an Uber driver and you're, or, you know, a postal worker or just someone that just wants to jump into, uh, Wanted to jump into real estate investing, I'd probably still encourage you to do house flipping. Not right now, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, like house flipping is a good like stair step to get to the next asset class. But I would also say once you get about hundred grand of cash in the bank and you don't have to live on that, meaning like maybe you're siphoning like ten grand, five to ten grand of that month, five to ten grand of that money out. Like I would say, hey, it's time for you to go find a bigger project that you can put a thirty to fifty thousand dollar earnest money. Down, uh, you know, a uh, fee or earnest money check on, and then go take, you know, get, then syndicate that deal, like raise money. You can, it's a lot easier. Raising money is easier than you, than most people think. And then, you know, get an attorney, pay an attorney to come up with some, uh, you know, syndication docs, like a private placement memorandum and some subscription docs for that PPM and then go that way. And then, then also when you buy that, you can actually charge yourself a fee. And then that's where, uh, the, you know, that's when it starts really getting good is you like structured a deal. You have this big, let's say 40 unit or 50 unit multifamily project or a 200 unit social, uh, self-storage facility. And then you also, you got paid to do that deal up front, like three to 5% of the sales pr- of the purchase price. And then you also have reserves for, that you raise alongside for that asset alone. 
And then you, then you have a nice 25% down payment that you raise from your limited partners. Mm-hmm. And, and then at that point, you, it's a three to five year cycle and you made enough money that you don't have to flip any houses anymore. And you can go find another mm-hmm. uh, apartment complex to do that on. And you do two or three of those and you pay yourself a hundred grand each. There's a $300,000, uh, you know, income. Mm-hmm. And it does not take as much time to run three storage facilities or three multifamily projects uh, as it does to try to make the same amount of money fl- house flipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, and, and, in, and in a way, it's less risky to do the multifamily and the self storage facilities as opposed to the the house flipping stuff. So that's that's my if that's that is what I think the greatest model is get enough money to go and start doing bigger stuff. Because mm-hmm. if you think about the people that that we know, but like other people, like the people that are really living a lifestyle that is really, um, really appealing. Maybe they have a bigger house. Maybe they have a drive a nice car. Maybe they don't have either of those. But man, they're always they're skiing 20, 30 days a year, uh, yeah. you know, and snow skiing 20, 30 days a year, or surfing a lot, or riding mo- mountain bikes a lot. Like if you look at what they their businesses are, I guarantee you, most of them will probably be some sort of commercial real estate. Yeah, there's something where you can have a team, and it's yeah, not not all on you too. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, um. Just to recap, you know, really, if you're going to start over differently, you would start and you would get going with house flipping or, or smaller rental properties until you had enough money to then get into commercial real estate, really as quickly as possible, right? Right. That absolutely. That's that. That's because for me, like, I was I was scoffing at like twenty thousand dollar a door properties here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was flipping at a little bit of money. Could have totally done what I just said. The model I just said, but I I was scoffing like, oh, this is too expensive. Well, those damn twenty thousand dollar Class C properties eventually traded for like one hundred ten thousand in twenty twenty one. You know, like if yeah. they would have been a really good business to get into, and uh, and so, but yeah, I, I would say start house flipping. That's a good place to start. It's something you know. It's something you can you can find easily once you make fifty to hundred k. Uh, partner with someone like me who could you could come in as a co-sponsor and we could do a deal together mm-hmm. or um or you can do your own deals and you know just read it read books about how to syndicate a deal basically yeah oh i like what you said about you know partnering with somebody just to get your foot in the door so i think that's so important so many people oh i i need to have it all well if you can get your foot in the door and partner with somebody like travis on say a self-storage deal then the next deal is going to be infinitesimally easier. 100%. You're just going to scale up so much faster. So that's awesome. That's great advice, man. I think that, again, I really like studying people who've been really successful. And everyone that I talked to basically said I would have, I would have gone bigger faster. Fascinating you say that. Uh, Robert Herchevich said that. Yeah, did he? At a, at a Go Bunnit still. I have it oh. on my I have it on my mirror. He goes, what's the one thing you, I think Daniel Del Rio asked him, Hey, what's the one thing you regret? And he goes, I would have done gone bigger. I would have chosen to play a way bigger game or I would have chosen to play bigger way faster or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that you boil it down. That's basically what everybody's saying. Say I, I started, I'm glad I did what I did, but I shouldn't have hung out there so long. Not that it doesn't work. Like you're saying, if you had a flipping business, flipping 30 to 40 houses a year, you're going to make good money doing that. And you can set it up to where 
it's not as much work, but also, like you said, it might be easier to do three bigger deals a year. Mm -hmm. Because with the bigger deals, you can get non-recourse loans. You can get, Mm -hmm. uh, you can have property managers run it for you. And then your job, you're an asset manager at that point. Instead of a, a, re, a renovation company that's taking all the risk on buying houses, like a house flipping business, really is is you have like a remodeling company mm-hmm. model, mm-hmm. taking on way too much risk by actually owning the asset instead of just charging the homeowner cost plus twenty percent. Yeah, <laughs> so. and I'm I so this is not to denounce flipping or say flipping is a bad idea, but I had lunch with the lady yesterday. Um, she had been, she flipped a lot of houses in the eighties and nineties in Austin. She had one go wrong and had to write a check for double what she sold the house for to get this person off her back. Um, and really it was the best thing she could have done because her time was worth so much more money being focused on what she was doing. And this was pulling her away from her family and her business and everything else she was working at. So, wow. Yeah, it's a slog. It, it can, you know, like there's house flippers have that one. You're like, yeah, I made a hundred grand on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made two hundred grand on that. But every time there's a hundred to two hundred thousand there, there's there's some there's a few that they lost a whole bunch. And if they didn't lose, it was like a slog to get through. They didn't sell. They sat around for eighteen months. Mm-hmm. Finally, got a lowball offer, and you're like, I'm just done with this. We've had we had a property in a small town outside of Waco, um, Grosbeck, and the uh, we cannot get it was a rental property and it was a nice rental property it was substantially nicer than all the houses around it but we could because we were out of towners and we didn't live there we could not get the electricity to be turned on because the city kept on saying well we, we need you to do this i mean well i don't i don't think like cutting a tree down that in my in the back of my house like i, I, don't, I don't like it was like silly stuff like I'd, i had to cut the tree down like an acre back at the back end of my my property so that, and then I did that and they're like, all right, well, thanks for doing that. We found these other nine things you have to do. And that like went on for almost two years. And I remember like gladly, it, we had to write a $32,000 check to get out of that one. And wow. I was, I was like, that was the best money I've ever spent. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, and, and then the, yeah. And then if yeah, I won't say, I, since yeah, I, won't, I wasn't say something else, I want to say that now, but, um, but yeah, it, it was, that was the best money to get out of that deal. And I'm like, I'll never buy anything in Grosbeck ever again. You're done with that town. Well, cool. So Travis, you're doing, doing a, a few self-storage deals a year now. Uh, what's next for you? What are your long-term goals and what's your vision for real estate investing for yourself now? Yeah, we we uh, you know we're we're gonna just kind of keep doing what we've been doing over the last mm-hmm. two years. Uh, our goal is to develop one large facility in a major metropolitan area in a Sunbelt state every every year, mm-hmm. and then buy three to four existing facilities, um, also in the Sunbelt states or mm-hmm. real close to Sunbelt states um, that are in existence that or that exist already, but. Are, have been mismanaged we can either double you know get close to raising the rents like 30 40 percent or or uh, we can expand on it so we've got a couple of projects like that going on right now we got a deal in edmond oklahoma that um the market like we after redoing all the research in the market it looked like we could double rents right after we bought it and so we did wow. and re- revenue is up 40 percent now wow. <laughs> compared to when we bought it back in september uh and then at the crazy so i'll tell you more about that the crazy thing about that one is revenues were about 30 grand a year, uh, 30 grand a month. 
and uh, at 100 occupancy mm-hmm. we doubled the rents upset a lot of people a lot of people moved out um we're at 60 percent occupancy but our revenue is forty-one thousand a month right now and so all we have to do is play the waiting game and just make sure we're marketing well and just fill that thing up and then we'll well, we bought, we paid six million for it, and after filling up, we should be able to get eleven, possibly twelve, depending on, on where interest rates go. Yeah. But we're pretty excited about that one, and then we have one uh, in Waxahachie, Texas, that was a real small facility, but it's on the highway. There's no other, there's no other storage facilities in a five mile radius, and so we're the only ones that can serve that whole area. Mm. And we're adding. Uh, right before I call, I was uh, signing. Uh, purchase orders for 20,000 modular units to just be able to drop in four weeks. So we'll have like a, we'll go from 7,000 square foot facility, which is way too small to buy ever mm-hmm. to a 30,000 square foot facility. Wow. So you're just dropping. Think, yeah, that's right. I think that's right. I think those numbers are right. It's uh, yeah. 20, yeah we're, we bought 23,000 square feet of modular stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, so you're, I, and I'm sorry, I'm unfamiliar with modular self-storage. Sure. Do you, put down concrete and then just drop these on them or how's that? Work? Well, yeah. So you tell, you know, uh, the city, you tell the city like, Hey, these are, this is equipment. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, because it, it is, you, you drop them and it's kind of like a, uh, a pod or a roll off, but it's a lot mm-hmm. nicer, a lot higher quality. Mm-hmm. And you just, you drop it and you put the next one right next to it. And then you have a, like an entire, like, you know, 20, 30 of these in a row, and then uh, you weld, you tack weld on the top of them, mm-hmm. and they're basically a f- storage facility that's wow. built up on, uh, you know, a pad. Like the pad, we, like the dirt guy makes sure the pad is can hold the weight and that sort of thing. But it's um, it's a good way to build in areas that otherwise would not be, be feasible to build. So let's say if we were to go to the city and like we're going to put twenty three thousand feet here, they'd say, well, you can only do eighteen because we need a detention pond. And you can't use gravel. You have to use concrete. Well, like this out in the middle, this deal is in the middle of Waxahachie and Ennis. So there's a lot of like, it's, it's kind of a rural area. There's going to be more four wheelers in those units than, you know, um, something nicer. You know, it's going to be a lot, a lot more toys like that, as opposed to like, you know, mattresses and, and dining sets and that sort of thing. So um, we didn't want to, take on the $50,000 engineering expense and the an additional like $120,000 um, like site, site grading and stuff like that to get to that point where we can add 18. So, uh, and then there was like setbacks here, setbacks here and a big setback there. And there's all this other stuff we had to do with TxDOT if we were to do that. So what we've done, we're just going to pl- drop them. And when they say, Hey, I don't have a permit for this. We can say, well, that's, that's okay. Because this is just equipment. We can, we can literally take these tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's a true statement. Like, it's not like th- those can be trans, th- those can be portable anywhere you want, want them to be. And so um, as long as you, if you don't tack weld them, they're portable, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, that's, that's our plan on that one. And that, should work that that that's a good plan for that specific thing i don't know if i would use it you know like on a austin msa storage mm, facility yeah. unit, complex or something like that, that you know, it, it's it's kind of when you're getting less than 12 bucks annually for rent you're like that will probably work whereas like in a lot of places of austin you're getting 21 to 24 bucks annually for rent you mm-hmm. probably you need to have a little bit higher grade of a uh storage unit so 
Yeah, as those people are going to have their mattresses and all that sort of stuff in there. Yeah, wine, like wine's a real big popular thing in really? a lot of the climate control in Austin, wine collection. I had no idea. Not a wine collector, so I didn't know that was something you did with self-storage. Yeah, I think it's the condition space. Yeah. Some self-storage facilities literally have a wine room that you can rent out. And it's, and it's like per square foot is like 35 bucks a month. Oh my gosh. But you only have like 1500 square feet. So that's, Yo. and that's for like, that's for like several people to go and put their little three or four, you know, oh. special reserve Camus bottles or something in there. So, okay. But, so I know you're working on one here in Georgetown too. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. So, um, that was actually the original plan is to build 10 to 15 in Austin and say like just from the ground up, mm -hmm. have them branded, uh, extra space or live storage. Mm -hmm. Um, it's taken over two years to get us to this point. We still don't have permits. We should have permits on the 23rd of, of, of March. Nice. Um, and then we should be digging dirt early May, hopefully. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's a, uh, it's right at the corner of Williams drive and DB wood, one of the major, uh, intersections of Georgetown. It's across the street from HEB. It's next to McDonald's, a CVS, a Whataburger, a Starbucks. So there's tons, tons of traffic flowing in that area. And the reason why that's a good thing is because about 50% of your marketing is drive-by traffic. And mm -hmm. so they'll see your facility there and they're like, you know, I need to go get myself uh, 10 by 10 so i can put whatever the, whatever is annoying me in my garage in there mm -hmm. um and so it's two buildings uh it's uh collectively it's one hundred forty-seven thousand square feet net rentable meaning like what we can actually rent out mm -hmm. is 107 to 111 depending on how it's gonna shape out but 18 million dollar project stabilized that's the cost the cost base is 18 million uh stabilized value is 27 to 30 million mm -hmm. and uh, it should be stabilized by year five more than likely facilities that size get bought by publicly traded companies mm -hmm. and uh you remember my comment about house flippers i may have not made it yet but um you know i felt like all the competition for house flipping i was a professional house flipper but my comp competition was like uh teachers that were doing it on the side uber drivers you know youth pastors and i was like i'm going to create a business model that whatever I invest in, the largest people are going to be investing in that. that I want to I want to build facilities that publicly traded companies go. Yeah, I want that in our portfolio. Yeah. And so we feel like it's finally coming to fruition. We've been working with the city of Georgetown through COVID, through all that other stuff. Um, it's we're uh, it's almost May will be two years since I got the land under contract. Oh, wow. So uh, we closed on it in December 21, but we had been working on, I think we filed, filed permits in, in, uh, in May as well. And so it's been, it's taken a long time and, uh, and that's kind of normal. Uh, it's, this is taking a little bit longer because of just city of Georgetown just is overwhelmed with a tremendous amount of development because it's a city that's grown 35% in the last five years and like oh, healthy wow. growth, healthy growth is somewhere around 2% a year. So it mm -hmm. should have grown like 10%. It's grown three and a half times that. So if you can imagine uh, the uh, demand on the planning and zoning committee or mm -hmm. planning and zoning department at Georgetown, it's it's probably unreal. But, um, and it's when you're, when you have that much going on, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to forget the, 
you're going to send the wrong comments, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. So, yeah. And they're not incentivized to work any faster either. They still just got the same old job. They're not. And, if, and, and I would just say this, like every person, I've, yeah, every, every person I've talked to at the city of Georgetown is, is an incredible human being. Like they're mm-hmm. very helpful. They're very smart. Uh, a lot of them have like upper level degrees. They're not dumb people. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, but, but yeah, it's definitely like, it's a lower paying job first off it's yeah. a very high stakes job in this sense like you got like there's a lot of pressure because there's just so much development going so what mm-hmm. happens is you work there for you know six to years six months to a year 18 months and then you leave to go work at you know a company like mine or something that needs needs someone who's really familiar with the zoning department of certain municipalities to be able to champion the effort on on getting stuff approved and uh and so if you think about how the the turnover the, we, there was still a lot of COVID protocols when we first uh, started doing this. Uh, it's just taking a long time, but dude, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be um, this is I think this is where um, for our firm, this is kind of the next level. Mm-hmm. And so when when we can when we can compete, when we can build the same thing that you know Heinz Development or WP Carry are building, and when we can build something that life storage. Uh, uh, or extra space, the second largest storage facility for the second largest facility owner in America can can buy, mm-hmm. then we're playing on a different level. And and that's that's kind of that was the whole goal is to get us far away from kind of a a, a basic level of investing. We really wanted to get to that next next level of where where the people buying stuff from us don't buy it based don't don't get the same loans we get they get mm-hmm. loans from SOFR and they get loans from bond bond releases and that sort of thing yeah you're playing with the institutional guys there yeah for That's sure awesome um travis do you have a favorite book that you like to recommend to people jordan moorhead here really quickly wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. Yeah, I I read a lot. And by read a lot, I mean I listen to books a lot because I I have four four kids and obviously a ton of real estate. I'm I'm a uh, get a lot going on. So Mm -hmm. my, my favorite book ever, and I started reading it right when the Pandemic happened is Obstacles of the Way by Ryan Holiday. Mm. Uh, I've I've read that book like 37 times, maybe more than that now. Um, oh. Like I'll finish it. The first time I listened to it, I'm like, okay, that was some great, that was a lot of good stuff. I want to reread it now. And then I'm like, I want to read it again. I want to read it. And then it was just like, and then, you know, uh, things in, things happened in my life with my daughter. She almost died and, you know, like fell back into that book. And mm-hmm. like two years ago, she did that. And then uh, I, I went, you know, I had a very hard time during that time. So that book really helped me kind of process a lot of stuff that was going on mm-hmm. along with like other, several other like professional help. <laughs> and so, uh, and then I would, if if I can, there's another book specifically on real estate investing that, um, or it's not a real estate investing book, but it is an investing the be- I would say the best investing book anyone can read. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I discovered it because I kept on pitching a family office, like, hey, this is a deal I want to do. I think this is good. And like in five minutes, they're saying no. And it's just like, it happened, the, the family office had to be someone who I really looked up to and was mm-hmm. like a mentor. And I'm like, man, why, why the hell does his office keep on saying no? And his mm-hmm. family office guy one day goes, 
hey, Travis, I need you to read this book here. David told me to give you this book. And so uh, and it was a book called Margin of Safety by Seth Klarman. Oh, cool. For real estate investors, you're not going to understand part three. It's like hyper like stock market investing, like dividend. I It was so far, like I felt like it was a different language. But the first part and the second part are some is, is gold. Ever since I read that book, I've not lost money on real estate. Uh, and I read it in 2018 after whenever... Everything was falling apart. Um, I read it and I'm like, this is a great book. So you can't, it's not in print anymore. You can get like a a legacy copy on Amazon for like 1500 bucks or maybe even more now. Um, but there wow. was, there was a the digital copy on Etsy for $9.99 okay. that you could download, um, take to the UPS store and they would bind it. And that's what I did. Oh, and I just cool. read the whole thing. And, uh, and I think, the blessing and the hard the the best thing and the curse for real estate investors are that most of us are visionaries we mm -hmm. see like man that grass can be a really badass storage facility or a multi-family property or that house that the roof is caving in could be really beautiful if it picks it up mm -hmm. you know while we we get really excited about the ups and we we don't even think about the downs. And so margin of safe, safety is always about like, yeah, everyone can get excited about making money. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure you protect your downside? And so like yeah. he Seth Klarman is worth somewhere around 50, 15 billion, I think, oh according gosh. to Wikipedia. Yeah. And he, he goes, the goal is as, as long as you don't lose money, you'll continually increase your uh, net worth. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you can even break even and that's better than losing money. Um, because you still have your principal balance. Whereas if you lose, let's say you lose 15% and your goal is to make 15%, now you have to make 30% to get just to your original goal, or you have to make a 15% return, which is pretty hard to get back to break even. And then you have to swing, you have to win again and win again and win again. Uh, he And his whole point is to, if you just make sure you protect your principal, you'll be fine. And so ever since then, I've, I'm like, how, what's, how do I do the, how do I do, how do I structure my business? Whereas like, if things don't go well, I'm still in business and I can keep doing it and take the lessons I learned to keep doing it. Whereas like the house living business, man, there was some times where I'm like, uh, I might, this might not work out. So yeah, I might be done here. So That's a, that's a good, I'll, I'll look for that book too. I might do that Etsy thing, but um, I'll definitely try to seek it out. Travis, is there a best way people can get a hold of you or follow you or learn more about Balcomi Capital? Yeah, the best way is to go to balcomicapital.com. Mm -hmm. And that's if um if you if you want to see our investment offerings, if you want to hear more about that Georgetown deal, uh that I would I would recommend that if you're listening, that would be like an accredited investor to go there. Mm -hmm. Um another way is to go to house to empire.com, which is where I teach. Uh, I do individual uh, coaching on uh, teaching people to go from house flipping to buying commercial properties. Mm. Um, and then you can also get me on uh, Instagram at, tra at Travis underscore Bauckham. It's B-A-U-C-O-M. Awesome. And we'll have all that in the show notes for everybody. Uh, Travis, thank you so much for coming on here today. You know, everybody reach out to Travis on Instagram at Travis underscore Balcom. Uh, B-A-U-C-O-M and you can always follow me on Instagram at Jordan underscore Moorhead also if you're looking to learn more about Travis's 
investments for accredited investors, balcomicapital.com. And if you're looking to learn how to go from house flipper to commercial real estate investor, house to empire.com. Again, guys, we'll have all that in the show notes for everybody. So you can reach out to Travis and learn everything you can about him. Thanks, Travis. It's good to see you again, man. We'll have to get together in person here soon. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. I enjoyed that. I hope it was, I hope it was good. Absolutely. Next time you're in Austin, give me a ring. Will do, buddy. Take care, right. Jordan. Thank see you. you.